You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey guys, Aaron Broverman here just to tell you about our sponsor, Harry Tarantula. Harry Tarantula is our original sponsor. They're the OG sponsor. They were here in the very beginning when we were just a fledgling comic book show done out of some guy's bedroom. But they have some amazing product for you. Just go down to their store at 3456 Young Street and you can get your role-playing games. You can get your comic books, of course. You can get your tabletop games. They have everything. We got Pokemon cards. We've got Star Wars miniatures. They just have everything that you could possibly want. Plus, Leon, their owner, is an amazing dude. He uh, He's very honest and uh, he'll get you everything you need. And uh, they have an amazing new space there at 3456 Young Street. So you got to go down. You got to check out their merchandise. Sometimes they have weekly live role-playing games, some Magic the Gathering stuff. They're doing championships all the time. You've probably seen a lot of their stuff on our social media because we try to promote them any way we can because without them we wouldn't be able to put this podcast together for you so please if you're local to Toronto and even if you're not look them up at www.harryt.com and uh, check them out at 3456 Young Street and tell them Aaron sent you This episode is brought to you by Sequential, the Canadian independent comic book magazine. For those of you in the comic book scene in Canada, you know Sequential was founded by Saul Good Sam. Well, he's teamed up with editor Brendan Montgomery of the Canadian Comic Books Wiki to bring you this new digital magazine, Sequential Digital Magazine. It's a free quarterly magazine bringing you closer to the amazing Canadian talent who make their own comics in Canada with reviews, interviews, articles. There's something for everyone. In the opening issue, they've got an interview with Credible Threat Press, one of the best independent publishers on the scene, and they're giving out their awards for uh, best independent comics from the Canadian Comics Wiki. If you got a message from Brendan to vote, this is where you'll see the results of their of their awards, including best comic book podcast, of which Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network is nominated. So hopefully we won, but uh, the only way to find out is to find their debut issue now at sequentialmagazine.ca and follow can comics wiki that's c-a-n-c-o-m-i-c-s wiki on twitter and instagram and check out the new sequential digital magazine edited by brendan montgomery founder of the canadian independent comic book wiki You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. And before we get into today's episode with Christopher Yao, uh, we had his roommate stop by. Shane Heron, 
You might know him. We've had him on the show before. He's a he's a great artist. I've worked with him uh, many times. He uh, last time he was here, uh, we talked a little bit about his comic Morris, which is sort of the Wilford Brimley character who uh, is the sheriff of this town, uh, keeping the townspeople safe from a bunch of dinosaur people in leather pants. So uh, go check that out, because that, that's a really cool comic. But he's got a new project, and I don't know if you remember our interview with uh, Casey Parsons, but uh, in our interview with Casey Parsons, we talked about Cauldron Magazine, and Shane is the, the dude. He's the, he's the El Presidente behind Cauldron Magazine. So we wanted to get him in because he's got an announcement to make. Shane... Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, Aaron. It's it's nice to have you. Uh, Cauldron, which we talked about with Casey, is something I really wanted to be in. Yeah. So how come I'm not in it yet? Like, what's going because on? Because you with pitched this us like two superhero stories. I know, I know. But, but then, <laughs> but then I came up with one with like a wizard in it. I know. So, so we'll see what happens. No, um, your last pitch was pretty decent, actually. We just right now we're doing two issues a year if we're sick because we're just trying to go small. All right. So there's really only a few spots that have already mostly been filled. So it's hard to, we want to bring in a lot of new people, but unless we up the schedule, we don't really have a lot of spots just yet until like 2020. But that's kind of what's special about Cauldron is it's, it's sort of bespoke. It's sort of a few issues a year. Yeah. You know, you don't want to overdo it. You know, only the elite of the elite of artists. So remind people who haven't listened to the Casey Parsons episode, shame on you, because he's, yeah. he's a great artist. He's the greatest. Uh, can you remind the people uh, who just want the Coles notes, what is Cauldron? Uh, how, did, how did it come to be? So Cauldron kind of started with uh, Ricky and I talking about, uh, just, you know, there's a lot of anthologies out there, and we always have these opinions on how they should do it better. And then we thought, like, well, maybe we should actually start our own. And then we went to have a meeting, and our buddy Sam Noir came with us, and all three of us just decided that we came up with the idea for Cauldron, which would be not just not such a big anthology, which is a lot harder to manage. So it would just be three or four short stories, and we decided to do it magazine size, sort of like a throwback to the old like heavy metal magazines and um, 2000 AD stuff, creepy magazines, that type of thing, uh, and just have like a real retro feel to it. And so the first issue, because Ricky, Sam, and I are all the editors on the book, we decided to just start small and just have three stories. We each do one. Uh, and then for the next one here, we've brought like Casey who did Casey Parsons, who did the cover for it. He just did this amazing Frazetta esque painting, uh, that basically was the reason behind the success of the Kickstarter. Uh, he, he, we brought him on cause he's been such a big part of it. We brought him on as sort of a fourth editor. So the new issue, um, it'll be, I have a story, but I'm not, it's, I didn't actually create it. I'm just editing uh, and then you have Sam Noir, Ricky Lima, uh, Casey Parsons has his own story, and then we have a bunch of new creators. But that's basically how it started. That's awesome. And it's it's kind of fantasy, right, in that old Frazetta style, right? Yeah, it's like we're, we're calling it like a horror fantasy or um, a lot of people have described it in different ways. But it's just, yeah, like we're, basically if, if it would go into like heavy metal magazine, it would probably fit into the cauldron aesthetic, basically. It's hard to say because we venture off slightly with sometimes it would go a little bit sci-fi or something like that. And um, it, it just we don't know what we want until we 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 get that story and we're like, okay, this works. It, it fits. Yeah, it's more of like a certain vibe 
of the yeah. magazine, right? Not yeah. necessarily like the type of story, but like a certain mature adult vibe. Yeah, and like we, I wanted to go mature readers for it. I wanted to, because like w- with Morris, I, I want to be able to, like I don't write it for kids, but I'd like to be able to sell it to a kid and not have to worry that, you know, that I have to warn his parents that there's some language in it. So with Cauldron, I was like, let's do the exact opposite. Let's do everything you want. Uh, we don't have to be politically correct. Just do any kind of story that comes to you that, that feels right, that is a cool, old, like, retro-style story. So that's what we did for it. In the in the horror fantasy vein, hence why my superhero pitches didn't yeah. really uh, fly, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you pitched me two superhero stories, and I was like, did you even read Cauldron, Aaron? Do you know what this book is? Uh, I, I really did read it, but I thought, oh. <laughs> There's no superheroes at all. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But we'll work on it. We'll work on it. You did pitch us something else, and uh, we we are we would love to actually have you in it. So we're, we're, we're figuring out when to get the right people in in the right spots. So. That's awesome. That's cool, man, because... I, like, once the first issue launched and the Kickstarter was so successful, like, you were fully funded pretty fast, right? Yeah, we were funded in one day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was, like, last year, funded in one day. People have really latched on to this idea. Like, uh, I heard that, like, you've been approaching artists like Ken Lashley and stuff like that. People uh, are Ken Lashley interest. is, he's agreed to do a cover for us, uh, so we're, we're in talks with him to do that. Um, but right now, so the last issue was Casey Parsons. And then this issue, actually, I'll show it to you after. Uh, we have Adam Gorham doing the cover, and it just it looks insane. It's so good. That's awesome. Adam Gorham, of course, from uh, you know Rocket Raccoon and, and New, New Mutants, Mutants right now. and the Violence and all kinds of things. Uh, Mississauga Boy. Yeah. So uh, Adam's the best. Yeah. Hello. yeah. Definitely, and definitely Shane's hero for sure. He is my hero. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love him. I love him as an artist and just as a human being. (laughs) Totally. Do you want me to tell you who's in the new issue? Yeah, yeah, do. Okay, so depending when the show comes out, uh, we should be in the Kickstarter right now. Right. We're planning on launching, I think, tomorrow or the next day. So when this comes out, we'll be in the middle of it. We'll be fully funded already. Everyone's going to check it out. It'll be called, I think, search for it on Kickstarter as Cauldron Magazine spring 2019 issue all right that should bring you to it and find it um but yeah so basically we have adam gorham doing the cover we have sean daly everyone loves sean daly he's doing the back cover this is the dude from samurai grandpa check out our episode with him yeah everyone in toronto knows the amazing sean daly uh and then so we have uh sam noir doing a story with jason toskowitz if you don't know jason toskowitz he is kind of internet famous for he works at starbucks and he does little cartoons on people's cups. Oh, so yeah. So he's kind of like the, yeah, he's like the cartoonist barista, I guess, or whatever. But, uh, Following his st- in the footsteps of the dancing barista. That guy got on Ellen, but. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, totally. Jason got in Cauldron. <laughs> awesome. And it looks amazing. So Sam Noir, Jason Toskowitz, uh, Keith Grichow, and Ricky Lima did a story together, which looks amazing. Keith's art looks insane on it. Keith uh, Kuchow has been on our show. Previous yep. Dreams. Yep. A, a lot of uh, salt, children's salt books water. with his mom. So uh, he's pretty awesome. Yeah, his art for this one looks like he really stepped out. It looks insane. Um, and then uh, Casey Parsons has his own story that he's written and drawn for this one. And then I've uh, got Fred Kennedy and Jeffrey Miles. Jeffrey Miles you probably haven't heard of. He's like a little secret guy, but uh, he lives out in like the boonies somewhere in Ontario. But he's just this amazing artist, and we've paired him with Fearless Fred Kennedy, and they did a really cool story together. 
Um, what else is in it? We also have, I don't know if you guys know Casey Pierce. She's out of Michigan. She works for SourcePoint Press. She's did she's done a, a prose story for us, just a short one-page prose story. And then I have an illustration by um, Aaron Ong, Mad Mad Sketch, as he's known in Toronto. So it's gonna we got a lot of really cool stuff in this new issue. That's really awesome. Uh, yeah, like Fred Kennedy, like legendary uh, radio legend. personality. Legendary. Uh, when we did an episode with him, he invited us to the Edge Studios yeah. back when he was working for those guys. So check out that episode too. Yeah. I want to check out all these other artists i want to have them on the show so at some point you'll hear from them too well you've had most of those guys. i had I most of those guys but except some for jason and jeffrey i guess you know and, and aaron ong i haven't had it yeah. him on or anything so uh oh so, also we have uh so we for this issue we've got uh jason clark from an elegant weapon wow he is our sort of crypt keeper if you will uh he is a character called the dweller in the cellar and we've got him a costume and everything. So he's in the video for the Kickstarter. But in the new issues, we're going to have intros and sometimes bookend pieces of him sort of as the our Crypt Keeper type character. That is awesome. Yeah. Like Jason, his show, An Elegant Weapon, is on Never Sleeps Network. We yep. sort of cross-pollinate and share uh, shows. He's yeah. on our website. Check out his episodes. He's had Jim Zub on. He's had cover artist Adam Gorham on the show before. Just recently, actually. Just recently, exactly. That was a really good interview. It's a one-two punch, man. So check him out as well. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, like, it seems like as soon as Cauldron came out, Marvel relaunched Savage Sword of Conan. They're launching Conan. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing prose stories in it's the back of Conan of magazine. It seems like this, you were, like, hitting on the fantasy horror thing right before the mainstream started picking up on it again. Yeah, we're trendsetters, man. Marvel's following us now. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, man. I, <laughs> because because there was a hunger for this sort of thing out there, right? I think so. I think that's definitely part of the appeal of uh, the first issue success was one Casey's cover that just it hits all those retro sort of like fanboy feels. And, it, yeah, I think there's just a market for guys who are, you know, well, I guess guys and girls too, but I'm mostly like you know older guys that are in their 30s, 40s. That see they they kind of want the something guys like still this. Still buying that, comics? Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Like, and, and and the cool thing about Cauldron is I because we we didn't want to number it issue one, issue two because I don't want someone to go oh issue seven, but I haven't read issue one even though they have to. So we're doing the magazine style. So it's going to be fall you know 2018, spring 2019, that type of thing. So that in a way it's like. Some people will feel like it's disposable, like a magazine. You read it, you throw it away, roll it up, put it in your back pocket type of thing. And then some people might want to collect it. And so it's kind of disposable and collectible at the same time. That's awesome. And it doesn't give you like a commitment. I feel like issue one suggested it's a continuing story, even though these are all standalone stories in these in these anthologies. They're all pretty much standalone. We've we've decided that if, if it really needs it, we might continue it in another issue. But mostly I, I want these short stories to sort of have a nice little ending that you do want people wanting more, but they don't feel ripped off because they didn't, re you know, to be continued or whatever. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what are you thinking in terms of a goal for the Kickstarter and like rewards, like what can people look forward to? So this is this is basically how the cauldron idea came up. So when I did the Morris Kickstarter, my goal was seventy five hundred, which is not not a little bit, but it's 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 also not a ton either, right? But it's it had me worrying and stressing for thirty days. And I, I did hit my goal uh, with a little bit extra, but I remember thinking I'm never doing another Kickstarter again after this. But then a guy, this guy named um, I 
Garth, I can't remember his last name right now, but he does a book called Witch Creek Road, and he always backs our Kickstarters. And I looked at his Kickstarter, and he does this. The goal is like three hundred bucks, and then the and so that it's just like he covers a base print run for the book. And then anything after that is just like a cherry on top. You can print more books or whatever. And he ended up hitting like three grand with a $300 goal. So I thought, Ricky, like I told Ricky, like we should be doing something like that. So for every issue, we're going to do a Kickstarter, but the goal is always going to be a thousand bucks. So even if we only hit a thousand bucks, we can still do a small print run and just to get the books to the backers and with a few to sell the shows. But last time we did a thousand, we hit it in a day, which is really cool. And then we ended up with four grand. So, I mean, like, again, that's not a ton, but it looks really nice. 400% of your goal. So we're always going to do a thousand dollar goal and, and hopefully it blows up a little bit more. Like last time we did four grand, maybe we can do five, six, seven, who knows. Right. So. All right. Well, I'm a bit of an investigative reporter and I've been hearing rumors that, Cauldron might get picked up by a publisher and that sort of thing. Is that is that something that's in the future for this book? We're we're in talks right now. We're in talks with a couple publishers of ideas, but like part of the reason I don't know. I, I, we've been thinking a lot about it. Like we want to get into Diamond, but it's also we're realizing that for something like this, a magazine format, it maybe Diamond's not the place that we need to be for, yeah, for Cauldron. Not. Like it's it's actually things where you can get them in stores like like Sonic Boom, you know, people who collect vinyl would be into stuff like this. Or just like there's all kinds of cool places around the city. Head and, shops and stuff. Yeah. And and honestly through Kickstarter, like the coolest thing with the last Kickstarter was uh, like it's great when your aunt backs you on Kickstarter and stuff, but you know they're just buying it to support you. 70% of the people that backed to the Kickstarter were people who didn't even know. And it was a lot of American people that just kind of came across it. So I was like, that's a really cool feeling with college. And that's what I want to keep doing. So like people realize like Kickstarter is a great way to get some money, but it's also a great way to grow your fan base because people all over the world back Kickstarters. Right, right. And some people make like a career out of backing yeah, Kickstarters. Absolutely. And <laughs> like it's like also that's just like, what they do. They're just super backers. There's people that just browse kickstarter and if they yeah. come across your project they might back it exactly and they have, you know and that's a really cool feeling so yeah we're gonna keep doing the the small kickstarter and hopefully it grows bigger oh yeah for so a re rewards you can get uh we have the original art for adam gorham's cover uh, we have original pages from jason toskowitz you can get original pages from my story from the first issue uh, we have a bunch of uh, all the almost all the artists on there have agreed to do uh, head sketches for different prices. So Casey, Keith Grichow, uh, me, Jeffrey, uh, even uh, Sam and Ricky are doing sketches. So those are rewards you can get. And then you can get like you can get the the single issue. You can get the digital issue. You can get both issues if you missed out on the first time around. Um, that's pretty much most of the the Kickstarter rewards that I can think of. That's all you need, man. Mm. Like you can't be printing T-shirts yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Like it's, it's it's about comics. Exactly. Oh, also another cool thing. So, because um, we want to have this issue out for the March Comic Con, the Toronto Comic Con. Right. Uh, and about, I believe it's going to be a week after that, we're doing an art show, like a cauldron art show at Seven Crowns Tattoo, which is just north of Young and Eglinton in Toronto. Uh, tattoo Shop, we did an art show there before. They're an amazing, amazing guys. Put on a great art show. Uh, so we'll be having... I'll, I'll figure out the the actual date for it, but when we hammer that out, but it'll be a Saturday, and it'll just be 
all cauldron art. It'll be really cool. Like all the different artists from issues one and two. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking really forward hard. to it. This is like the only comic I've seen in recent history that I actually wanted to be in. Yeah. Like really, really bad. Yeah. So, uh, so you're going to love this if you're listening to this and you like the sound of my voice and you, you dig what Shane's doing. Uh, please, if you haven't already, back the Kickstarter and uh, let's make it happen for these boys. Thanks, buddy. All right. Talk to you soon, man. Hey, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. We're on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Follow us on social media at Speech Bubble Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I got to remind you that if you want to review our show, uh, you will get a free comic. Just uh, review our show on any uh, podcast platform of your choice, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast needs met, that's where you'll find us. And if you uh, do a review and uh, and like us, uh, just DM me through social media at SpeechBubblePod and I'll get your address and send you a comic from my personal collection. Uh, I just want to also mention that uh, if you have a business or an event or any kind of happening and you have $50, we are willing to do a commercial for you. So if you want to advertise on the podcast, just like our great sponsor, Harry Tarantula, uh, get in touch and we can set that up for you. Anyway, on with the show after the housekeeping is done. Today, we have a very great friend of mine. Uh, We go back a long way in the Toronto comic book scene. I call him the king of the sketch cover. Uh, This dude used to be the artist in residence at the famed but now defunct comic book lounge and gallery. If you want to hear a story about that comic shop, uh, listen to the episodes featuring the uh, former owner, Kevin Boyd, on Speech Bubble, and it'll tell you all about the comic book lounge and gallery. But Chris here was the artist in residence there, and all day he would do these amazing sketch covers, and he would do them super fast, and he's still doing them to this day. I would argue that he could draw under the table some of the famed artists that we've had on the show in terms of sketch covers. If you want a sketch cover, this is the man to do it. Uh, He's also been featured in the Toronto Comics Anthology, Volumes 2 and 3, Uh, He's the co-creator of Major North, a Canadian superhero with another friend of mine, Sam Noir, who you'll probably hear on a future episode of Speech Bubble. He was also sort of featured as a bit player in the Marvin Law episode of Speech Bubble, if you remember from back in the day. Go find that in our archives. But right now, Chris's major contribution that he is doing is this new independent comic he's working on he's two issues in it's called gray light and it's about this guy with this mysterious power kind of reminds me of kitty pride or shadow cat from the x-men this guy can phase and uh, he sort of can phase into a a different dimension a plane that exists on our you know 3d 4d world he can phase into a different plane that exists simultaneously with our own. A different dimension, if you will. Chris, how are you doing, man? Tell us about this new comic you got working on. Uh, how are you doing, Aaron? Um, the comic I'm working on, Graylight, uh, stemmed from actually an idea that I had in high school uh, going into college where I was 
totally influenced by all the comics of the 90s, you know, that the era that people are just, you know, not very happy with, but uh, because of that, that sort of oversaturation and where you had like major crossovers with everybody and a million bajillion variant covers type thing. We're still doing the events. Exactly. There's so many events yeah. now in comics. <laughs> it's, it's insane. Exactly. But also um, just uh, I, I love the, the high action and I was very influenced by the art styles, Jim Lee and J. Scott Campbell and Michael Turner and all that. Um, but at the same time, I didn't want to fall into, oh, I'm just another clone of this guy or that guy. Um, so the story I came up with, Greylight, um, definitely uh, artistically has influences from them. But um, I, I've found that in the last like 10 years, I've actually uh, evolved the style you know, to, to be more signature me, you know? Um, and the storytelling w- was where I was most, uh, influenced by. So having no real sort of formal training yet at the time, I was just sort of making sure that I could sort of pace things with the story and, and gray light I would do with, um, just bits and pieces, you know, where I'd be like, Oh, here's a, here's a certain section of the story that, uh, that's just sitting in my head and here's another section, but how do I connect the two, you know, and I would make it work. And it's just like everything in life where if you want something to work, you'll find a way and, 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 uh, do all the sort of research that, you know, is required of it. Um, but, uh, leaving college, going into, you know, uh, the, the working world, um, I sort of put comics down for a bit, even though I would do daily sketches and, and all that. So gray light sort of sat at the back of my head, you know, just faintly. And I didn't, I didn't even think about it until, um, what was that? I think it was the summer of, uh, 2012 or 2013 at the comic mm-hmm. book lounge, where at the time, I think you took part in, uh, the 12 and 24 hour comic book. Uh, marathons, right? I did, I did. There, that was one of the first uh, competitions that they had, the Twenty Four Hour Comic Marathon. Uh, for those who've never participated, it's basically you do a comic, a twenty-four page comic over a twenty-four hour period, which means a page an hour if you're doing the math at home. Uh, you, some people, they partner with artists uh, to execute uh, their vision, or it's a collaborative vision. Other people are cartoonists, so they can do the writing and drawing uh, themselves, and they just do their own story. And uh, I think my project was sort of my experience as a person with a disability. It was much more cartoony yeah. and comedic and, like, comic strippy sort of thing. Uh, but other people, like Chris, were obviously cooking up stories that would be uh, have uh, prominence in the future, I guess. Well, I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember. The first story that I worked on, you know, I did the 24-hour which we, we battled through it, man. We, like, we just went through the, the break of dawn. It was 10 the previous morning till 10 the following morning. And um, I worked on it with um, now Ashley Cooper, uh, Bad Robot. I remember, if you remember oh, yeah, that? Yeah, 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 it yeah. Was just it, it was just, you know, it was, uh, she had this great story. And uh, being a writer, I mean, she just knew what, was going to go on. And the whole premise with the, the marathons was don't come in with a finished script. You just hit the ground running, right? You ha- you can't have like a base idea. So I felt with gray light, um, uh, 
uh, I did it during one of the 12 hour ones. And so I did have a, a, a sort of, you know, a skeleton script in my head, but I didn't have anything formally wrote down. So, uh, the 12 hour, um, just took me, you know, I took my time with it. I worked at a fairly small size and, uh, you know, I had a, a general idea about the character and his powers and stuff. And it was just, they were very simple. He could phase through, uh, material space. Right. Right. And uh, I just wanted to show the issue of, uh, here's the guy showing his powers, you know, uh, part of the storytelling elements I learned through Ty Templeton's, um, uh, uh, his courses was comic the, book boot camp. The, the comic book boot camp was uh, the stages of uh, of being. It was like what is normal, what changes normal, what you know, what results from that change. So we see him, you know, written as normal, uh, and then we see the event that shows him as not. You know, like he has these exceptional powers, right? Um, and then we see him sort of move through by the end of the 12 pages um like what uh he's he's on this new sort of all of a sudden this the world changes and his uh sort of outlook on life changes and his uh adventure starts right where uh um another uh party comes into view and all of a sudden he's on this adventure right so um by the end of it, uh, I had just sort of left it as a cliffhanger because, like, like I was saying, the '90s image—they they love that cliffhanger, cliffhanger, you know. Um, and so I just left it like that without any sort of idea that I was going to revisit it again. I was just happy to to discipline myself through the challenge of the twelve-hour comic book uh, marathon. Uh, so um, years, a couple of years down the road. Um, I was sort of transitioning back to life in Toronto cause I'd moved away to St. Catharines for a while. Uh, when I got back, um, I thought, well, I really, I, I found the sketchbook and a bunch of my stuff. I was moving around and I'm like, you know what, why don't I do something with this? I, you know, this clearly is, uh, something that, I, a story that, makes sense and, and that can go somewhere, you know, right. not just sort of a scribble in a margin of a page. So I'm like, let's do this. Let's just put it out there. Um, right. and like our mutual friend, um, Shane Heron, uh, he's been a great sort of, uh, productivity influence. You know, right, he's, right. he's a great talent. Um, but he has this, uh, he has like a perfect mindset in terms of, of, making things you know if you're if you're passionate about it you don't have to go and scream on the rooftops hey i'm passionate about comics i'm gonna make a comic he just sits down and does it and and that's what got uh you know uh, that's what gets the engine going right it's like oh he's right you know he just shows through doing the work yeah, you know? it's like, what's stopping me? I keep talking about doing a comic. Exactly. I should just finally do a comic. Yeah, I mean, social media and such is great, you know, to, to promote what you've done. But what are you promoting if you haven't worked on anything yet? So I'm sitting there with gray light, and I'm like, why am I not just doing it? You know, so I sat down, I started working on pages. I'm surrounded in this Toronto community of co- uh, cartoonists and comic book artists. Fantastic talent you know, across the board. Um, and they're just doing it. They're just, they get up, 
you know, they love what they're doing and they just do it and then they tell everybody and they show everybody what they've done. And I figured, you know, I can do it the same way. You know, I'm not going to sit there and say, guys, guess what? I got a comic in the works here. Uh, I will get that to you, you know, eventually. No, I sit down, get the book done, you know, because I can, you know, and then uh, put it out there, right. you know, uh, show it at the major uh, any store events or uh, like Comic-Con or Fan Expo, you know, so which is where I ended up, I planned it. Um, but the plan only goes as far as you're willing to sort of commit via action. Like I said, like, if you just don't do it, if you don't have a book ready for fan expo, what are you going to do? You're going to sit at a three foot or six foot table, you know, with business cards, twiddling your thumbs saying, I have this great book in the works. People are going to walk right by. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. So I, and you won't be able to pay for your table. Exactly. You know, I mean like, or you just would have shoveled a whole bunch of money that you may be on credit or something, you know, right. and you're just sitting there with an empty table where everyone else around you, and, you know, I mean, from what you've seen of, of Comic-Con and Fan Expo, it's just, it's overload, right. you know? Mm -hmm. And you, if you want to be a part of it, bring something to the table, you know? Right, exactly. Um, so I was very happy that I made the decision. This is a story that I want to explore more. It's got teeth, and um, I know I can go somewhere with it. You know, most sort of story ideas that I've come up with since high school, some of them fizzled out. Um, unfortunately, one of the, the stories that um, I was uh, had a hard time following up with was, and I don't know if you remember Fonkin. I do. I do. Yeah. I have a copy of Fonkin. Mm -hmm, yes. Mm -hmm. And like at the time, I was like really, really, uh, really proud of, of the book. You know, I had just finished Ty's classes right? and I'd shown him progress pages as we're doing the course. And he's right. like, you're on the right track, man. This is exactly what, you know, I've been talking about the whole time. Right. And so, uh, at 2010, I, I put, I went to fan expo. I was, you know, hearts on my throat there. I, I've never really tabled by myself before. And, um, you know, people, it was, it was an okay reception for the book, but, uh, at the time, I didn't have any foresight into where's the story going, right? So the the, the book was, uh, you know, people liked it. They liked the art. But I sat back afterwards and, and was like, well, where am, I, where am I going now with this book? So it sort of hit a wall creatively. Right. So, um, you know, I would try and revisit it again and again. And in the meantime, I was doing freelance design and, and illustration. And sketches. You know. you, I, exactly. I remember some of your sketches were on eBay and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, that sort of thing. So I was just sort of, that was my sort of time filler, but I should have been sort of trying to figure out where that story was going. As your main thing. Yeah. As the main thing, yeah. you know. So I would have people um, like Sam and, and Shane looking at the book going, you have a book here. Why didn't you roll with it? What was going on there? And, and uh, you know, and a lot of other people who were saying the same thing. And I'm sitting back going, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know why I'm not pursuing it. It's a, it's a fun little story. It's a story that I haven't seen uh, you know, told so much before, you know, it follows that sort of, uh, Pinocchio type, uh, you know, influence. So tell, tell the listeners just to, so that they're in on this conversation, mm -hmm. what, what Fonkin was about. Fonkin was about, um, it was in a, 
uh, a sort of uh, alternate sort of uh, Earth type uh, planet. Um, you know, it had cities and, and countries like our own. Uh, again, like not really a named place in uh, in the universe. Uh, but it was uh, in the fair distant future where uh, technology and man were sort of butting heads. Uh, technology was uh, gathering sentience, right? So it was machines running machine companies and against man running, you know, more, uh, you know, man-made type stuff. But the, the two technology and humanity were sort of really butting heads and, and, but they weren't like, uh, you know, you'd think like, oh, it's not like Skynet where it's right. just going to, not but quite there, the there singularity was, there, there was sort of regulation, you know, uh, where they tried to have a balance, but humanity didn't really, you know, didn't really groove with the decisions that technology was making. So, uh, it followed the story of this one scientist who developed the technology that gains sentience. And, and, uh, when, when things started coming to a head and humanity started fighting against technology, um, you know, you'd have little, little uh, skirmishes and, and tiny wars that would break out in different cities. And so uh, in this one city, uh, this major developer of the technology um, had, fa- had just found uh, through uh, an unfortunate circumstance, a child of his family, a grandchild um, had suffered severe injury uh, during one of these battles. And so he used the technology to try and help you know, uh, keep the child alive and, 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 you know, and bring him back to a state of life that's, you know, that he wouldn't be, uh, you know, just really hampered with. Like a cyborg. Yeah. So he was a little cyborg child. And so, um, it followed the first issue sort of jumped into things where the cyborg child is just getting a tune up and, um, just about to send the, the, the scientist because he has now been found out by the, technology uh technological entities they're like hey man this human is you know trying to do some weird stuff you know playing god basically right shouldn't exist exactly so they're like we're gonna we're gonna um just uh we're just gonna swallow him up into our company and he'll work for us and whatever um and and we'll take this technology hybrid that he's made of this child so they're not only after him they're after the child he's made but uh as you know, he's tried to sort of keep him at bay, but the issue shows how one slip up, uh, one just sort of like bad mistake, um, coincidence, uh, sort of triggers, um, you know, uh, the technology guys getting the upper hand and and tracking this guy down. And so fearing for the kid's life, he sends him off on to, uh, you know, uh, off to a safe path you know, a w- far away from technology as possible. Um, and so the end of the issue just sort of, you know, had the kid just standing there uh, in a sort of a safe space going, well, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, and like I'm, and at that point I was like, okay, I can, I can, I can actually, we could jumpstart an adventure for he, this kid. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But it was tough because I, I, as much confidence as I had in storytelling, the writing part, 
you know, uh, just the scripting that adventure just sort of hit a wall. You but, know? but you'd collaborated with like Sam Noir mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. over this time with like Major North. Exactly. And, yeah. You know, yeah. different anthologies and that kind of thing. So why didn't you just mm-hmm. recruit him to well, do Well, that was the thing. It was that uh, the year following where Major North was getting a really good reception and, uh, and Sam and I had, had agreed, you know, whenever we want to work on stuff together, let's work on stuff together. Uh, and I should have at the time, you know, hindsight and all that, <laughs> uh, should have gone back to him and said, you know what, uh, Fonkin, it, it needs some TLC. I know I can go somewhere with it. And, uh, to this day, he's always said whenever Fonkin sort of slipped out of my mouth, he's like, you know what, anytime, you know, and he'd just point his finger at me and, uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 you just I'll sort keep of put it in the back it of my head. I, I did put it off and then. Uh, when I did this gray light story at the marathon, the whole time I was doing each page, I'm like, yes, yes, I can, right. ma- I can do this. You I were a can little do bit this. more inspired, more inspired, the, more the story had more legs that you were interested in. Mm-hmm. You were more excited mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you didn't need somebody to motivate you. You were already seeing where the story could go. And yes. Yeah. Being more motivated exactly. just by that, the momentum of that. Exactly. And I'm not sure whether it was the environment of the marathon where you were under the gun one hour a page, uh, to get that story figured out. Right. Maybe it was, but, um, at the end of it, and I'd put the book down, it was done just entirely in pencil. It was not as polished, you know, um, but every time I would pick up the sketchbook, I'm like, this has got to be, this is something I can roll with. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I'm sitting down and I'm like, let's just get this book done. You know, it'll, it, I think it'll be a fun story for, uh, you know, for people to, to um, you know, to experience. And, uh, you know, uh, I personally just... You know, I've, I I could sit there and do sketches every day and, you know, and just post stuff on social media. But at the end of it, you know, I'm a comic book artist and I'm a storyteller. And I've, I've been told that I have really, you know, uh, really uh, good storytelling chops, <laughs> you know. Um, so let's put that to the test and, and, and let's put our best foot forward because I look around at all my compatriots in the city and, and the province and, and, you know, in the country and, and even across the pond and they're all just doing it. They're all just putting out the books they want to put out. Right. You don't want to be left behind. You want to still be doing like sequential stories. Like a sketch artist is nice, but Mm -hmm. they're kind of a dime a dozen, even if you are good, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually they surpass you, right? Your compatriots. Yeah. 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 So uh, while I'm, I'm nothing but a hundred percent supportive of all of my friends and, and, uh, you know, and relatives and all this who are artistically inclined and stuff, um, I want to be part of it. You know, and I think that uh, with the way that my work, I feel, has evolved in the past 10 years, you know, let's take another kick at the can. And, wow, that's awesome. You know. And now that you're you're living with Shane Heron mm-hmm. and you talk about his discipline inspiring you, but being surrounded mm-hmm. with another artist 24-7 who is working yeah. on stuff and producing, exactly. that's got to have reinvigorated your career big time, It right? It really, really has because, um, you know, I mean, where I started, uh, you know, where, where the friendship sparked with Shane was at the comic book lounge and, you know, uh, at, at the, 
the comic marathons. And uh, he would just be like, it's good work, man. It's good work. He, you know, he's very laid back, but he's got, um, you know, he's, he makes great points in life and he's, it's just straight shooter. Um, he's got kind of the mind of an editor. Like he exactly. can keep you on task. Mm-hmm, exactly. And without doing a big diatribe on let's sit down and go over the points of this. He'd just say like, dude, if you're not going to do it, it's not going to go out. Right. You know, right. if you don't make this story, if you don't, you know, finish the book, no one's going to see it. You right. know, I mean, if you don't, uh, figure out this visual problem, you know, do life drawing sketches or, or, you know, go back and, and practice inking. It's just not going to work out. Right. Know? Right. So, totally. I mean, it's, it's, uh, a straightforward mindset, but not, um, you know, not like a, uh, uh, talking down to you or anything. It's just, he's on your level. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, won't say it. He won't sit there and, 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 you know, and cover you in, in praise and, and, you know, he'll, he'll just say, look, if it doesn't get done, it's because you didn't do it. At the end of the day. And you had a lot of excuses. I mean, like, like reasonable excuses. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. you had back problems before. Yeah. You had your father who was sick with yeah. health problems yeah, yeah, and that sort of yeah. thing. And at the time too, um, my mother, you know, uh, as well, like a, a few years prior, she had, you know, I, mean, I could go into a whole thing, but right. both of them, you know, I mean, I could sit, I could have sat there and said, well, because of my mother, I can't, right? Or because of my father, I can't. And I think, um, without resting on, uh, doing things because they would do it, sort of thing, doing things more because I have the strength to do it and, and to, to, you know, uh, to get through hard times and, and, uh, you know, I, I have, I've nowhere near had it as rough as some people in the world, nowhere near, but there are, for everybody, there are challenges and there are times where, uh, you know, the bubble pops because of a certain event. Right. But I think the, the, you know, the strength, the endurance, um, you know, uh, it does, um, have an influence. And, uh, I think when I, this summer, uh, this past summer, I think it was a fair challenge for me to get back on the horse. Right. You right. Know? Cause your father had just passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He passed away in July. And, um, you know, I mean, the man had left, uh, a, a great legacy and, and he'd worked, uh, really hard all his life yeah let me just say like uh i think your dad was involved in like the first open heart surgery in canada yeah the the first open heart transplant open uh, heart transplant okay yeah and um it was uh it was covered okay by the cbc but um during their celebration they had a a hundred year celebration so his name was you know his name was brought up as yeah, yeah he was on the team that successfully did the you know that did the transplant and uh you know we we couldn't have been prouder our family just you know was our hearts were like huge at the time and i was you know i was thinking of that and um you know just what he's accomplished wasn't uh like i didn't use it as a flag for for my own stuff right i just used you know i i looked at what he went through and, um, you know, his, 
the strength that he he brought to table every day you know whether it was with his work or whether it was family or you know um you know just interactions with people in the world Mm -hmm. you know i'm like i'm this guy's son i i have that strength somewhere right Mm -hmm. but i'm not gonna go to fan expo and be like i came to fan expo because that's what my dad would have done no i came to fan expo because i have a passion for artwork and i have you know, and I want to feel like I have the same passion that my dad had for his work. Right. You know, and, um, uh, it's very, uh, he was, he was so inspiring him and my mother, uh, were both very, very inspiring in my life. So, um, I think that, uh, you know, while they would, uh, uh, you know, assuredly because parents do be like, Oh, Christopher, you've done, you've done it again. You know, you've done, done such good work. Good for you. Right. Um, I don't rest on that. You know, I just, I rest on, uh, I roll with, uh, this, you know, this is something I've always wanted to do since I was a kid, be a comic book artist, be an artist period, you know, put out comic books, makes paintings of landscapes, portraits and all this stuff. And I'd imagine that they put quite a high premium on achievement given, (laughs) you know, where your father was. And well, that's the thing. I mean, there was a point, I think during my teenage years where my father was, um, you know, he was like, you got to have a goal and you got to know the path to get there. So think about it. Think, 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 <laughs> you know, uh, don't just lollygag and, and don't, if you want to do something, there's a simple answer. Just, you got to go do this, find out, the, you know, find where the rungs of the ladder are, right. you know? So and to be an artist, what did you do to achieve well, that Well, uh, with, I, I went to, uh, you know, I, I was involved in schooling that did have a good um, sort of uh, section or courses dedicated to art, you know, uh, like art programs. And uh, that went right up until high school, Um I went to, I did the, the fair amount of my high school at uh, Central Tech. So at the time they had that, that art program, you know, so I, in the morning I would be like, uh, oh, I got pottery, I got life drawing and I got design and then lunch. And then wow. I got to take, oh, I got to take biology. I got to take geography, history, jeez. And then, uh, that would be my day. And sometimes, uh, I'd be bummed out because uh the our classes weren't as long a schedule as the other science and math i had to take accounting um but other days it would be like 80 percent art 20 percent other you know other courses right you know uh so getting involved in those uh those courses at those particular institutions and then eventually shared in college where i took uh um uh, interpretive illustration book illustration that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So what is interpretive illustration? Interpretive illustration uh, is different from, say, advertising or uh, technical architectural design. Uh, the interpretive illustration is, like I said before, storytelling, um, you know, whether it's like single illustration for uh, an ad um, or uh, for a storybook like spot illustrations right. or cover illustrations, that right. sort of thing. Um, the focus was, yeah, developing, uh, characters or settings and, and following a theme and, and, um, 
uh, evoking emotions or, or, you know, a thought process. So a pretty good backbone for a guy who wanted to do a comic. Exactly. But here's the funny part. (laughs) I went into Sheridan with obviously coming out of high school, uh, ideas like gray light and Fonkin in the back of my head. And I'd sit there and I'd doodle and I'd also, um, do little sort of story scribbles, storytelling tidbits, um, of, oh yeah, this is what my comic's going to be like. This is going to be on page 13 of my comic. Yeah. And my, uh, one of my design teachers would look at it and be, uh, like comic book illustration. Really? I'm like, but aren't I doing sort of book illustration? Doesn't this fall into it? And they, for some reason, they didn't really have a great, uh, sort of, um, uh, impression. They they didn't have a great happy impression of comic books at the time because, you know, I mean, we're like, again, the nineties, uh, Rob Liefeld, extreme studios and, and, uh, Wildstorm and stuff where it was just like crazy action. Everything is exaggerated. Spider-Man's joints from Tom McFarlane are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, women's waistlines were like, you know, the size of a measuring cup or whatever. I don't know. Um, but they weren't really impressed with it. And the right. fact that I was, I loved doing comics and I was drawing um, some of the designs I was coming up were admittedly semi Liefeldish, you know, where it was, uh, th- there was a lot of lines on the face and uh, the muscles were just, they were just all over the place. I, I didn't have a firm, firm, firm grasp of anatomy. At the How time. many pouches? How many pouches? You know, I mean, I wasn't great at drawing pouches. So it was a lot of like larger boxes that just imagine this being divided into 50 pouches yeah, yeah, and you get the idea. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, totally. um, but, uh, yeah, surprisingly they didn't really, uh, embrace my, uh, attention to, to comics and stuff. They'd always want me to sort of, l- let's try and put that style away for a bit and, and concentrate more on this. And they'd have me, you know, influences from other traditional, uh, you know, interpretive, uh, uh, artists, you know, which is like, I don't understand if we're supposed to develop ourselves, come into our own, you know, in college, Right. After learning all the fundamentals of life drawing and, and stuff, why don't we, why can't I explore that? You know? So, um, after graduating college, I'm like, it was a slingshot. I'm like, I'm tired of them telling me I can't do it. So I just started, you know, just putting out, uh, like comic sketches constantly. Um, I actually collaborated with a friend from college on a a couple of throwaway little stories that we never really saw the light of day. Um, but, uh, at the time that, that sort of, as much as I would have loved to do just comics, comics, comics right out of college, got to find a job, got to get, you know, the regular income going. So there was a lot of freelance, uh, traditional illustration, portraiture and stuff that I was doing to make money. Um, you know, and then taking an office job and, and whatnot. But at the back of my head, I'm like, I'm not letting go of this comics thing. I really want to get my foot planted in it. So, um, eventually, uh, after taking, after doing a job at, um, a printing, a large format printing house in Mississauga, um, I had to leave that job, but the, uh, the employment insurance that I <laughs> received from that, I, I sat back at and looked at it. And at the time, 
lo and behold, Ty Templeton's boot camp, comic book boot camp had, uh, you know, been in full swing and he was taking on new students and I was sitting there going, why don't I do that? You know, why, why don't I, this is the perfect opportunity. You know, I have the mind to take the course. Um, I've been inspired by his work since like, you know, the nineties and, uh, let's just make it happen. So it was, uh, 2009 where I took his course and, uh, I, you know, I didn't regret it at all. I think it's one of the best decisions I ever made. And from there you met so many people. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like without Ty's course, not only wouldn't you have like the knowledge of like how to really illustrate a comic like Mm -hmm. the pros do, but you wouldn't be connected to the community in the way that you are. Exactly. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, I could have gone, I could have ended up just like sort of scraping money together to go to fan expo, whatever as a fan, uh, just forever and ever and ever and been like, Oh, I guess I could put together small little, you know, sample pages. Um, like I did, um, the, the only memorable time I ever showed my, uh, artwork, uh, for review was I went in 97, I think, or 98. I actually went to New York city. My father at the time was like, I know you want to do this. You want to do comics. You want to show comics to people, you know? And I was telling him about, uh, Hey, I can get professionals to look at my work. And he's like, well, then let's do it. So we, we booked a weekend to go to New York comic-con, um, that at the time was held at that world trade center. And, uh, not only did I get to go see the world trade center, but I got to sit down and talk to one of the greatest comic artists of all time, Joe Kubert. Really? Really. Wow. Uh, and he had virtually no one standing around talking to him at the time. I'm like, He's just started up the Joe Kubert school and, and I thought, oh man, you're not going to be able to get a word in edgewise with this guy. But I was able to walk up to the man. This with, is like the creator of Sergeant Rock and exactly. Hawkman, yeah, you guys. Yeah. He's the head uh, or the founder of the Kubert school mm-hmm. for uh, drawing. It's one of the only schools in North America dedicated to comic book art in Dover, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So many of your favorites have uh, come from there. Yeah. I mean, I, I've met him. I, I got to meet him, I guess, uh, when they came to Phoenix, but I guess the mm-hmm. year before he died. Mm-hmm. But uh, this guy is the guy. Yeah, he that is. You want reviewing your portfolio. Exactly. And, you know, at the time I had done, um, I think there were like Batman pages. And, and I spent the night before, I didn't know who I was going to see there. At the, I was just like, well, I'm going to do the best I can do. Were you know? they pinups or sequential? No, they were sequential. Okay. I did a, f- a four-page sequential. Um, just a sort of random Batman takes down nighttime burglar story. Uh, and, uh, I had no idea that I would be able to sit and talk to Joe Cooper for like a good 20 minutes, you know, showing him, uh, the work that I'd done, like literally finished the night before. So, so. when you <laughs> approached, like, tell me the whole story. What did he say to you? Well, what, basically, everything? basically, you know, I mean, it was the standard sort of introductions. Like, I love your work. You know, I've been following you, you know, through Marvel. Um, it's very, you're a huge influence on my wanting to, to learn how to storytell, you know, uh, and, you know, and an art influence for sure. Um, I just wanted to sit there and, 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 uh, I just wanted to get your input and I don't know. I told them right off the bat. I'm like, I don't know how this works. Um, I don't want to waste your time. And to which he 
immediately said, don't ever say that. Don't ever say that you're, you're afraid of wasting someone's time. Cause this is what you're passionate about. And, uh, you know, why would, why would you be here? You know, you're not, you didn't come to this show to waste my time. You didn't say, I'm going to go up to Joe Kubert and waste his half hour of his life. So he, immediately he put me at ease, you know, and right. he said, we're all in the same boat together. You know, you love doing it. I love doing it. That guy over there likes doing it, you know? So just, it's okay. You know, he immediately made you feel comfortable, um, and, and, uh, made no assertions that like, look, I'm not, anyone that you show stuff to is not going to sit there and blow up balloons and, and throw confetti for you. They're here to give you honest feedback and, uh, whatever you hear, good or bad, you take everything, you know, uh, with a grain of salt, it's constructive. And that's the most important thing because what we're, all we're trying to do is to show you that you can be better you know, but we, we can meet you halfway, that sort of thing. So I went ahead and I showed him the pages and he would, he, he, uh, gladly took the time and just went through panels of each page, storytelling wise, rendering, you know, um, told me about when he, you know, was starting and, and like how he approached, you know, making each page of a book you know, and all that sort of, it was, it was 20 minutes, but it felt like four hours, you know, I mean, that's how engaging the guy was. What did he tell you about your work? Well, what he told me about my work was that it, it could use, you know, I mean, he, he, he could see right away. He's like, you could use, um, you have a good sense of storytelling, but you could use better, uh, anatomy, you know, research into anatomy, research into architecture, you know, he understood, it was almost like he understood where I was coming from. Like he, he'd been over my shoulder in high school and college be like, I know what you'd been doing during those times, like how you'd been trying to do comics, you know? And he's like, well, it's great to be influenced by these other comic artists at Image and DC and Marvel in the nineties. Also take that as inspiration to go off on your own path. But here are the steps that you need to do to get there. And once you know the rules, then you can start making them your own rules, right? You know, learn this anatomy, learn this architecture, learn this perspective, and then you can, you know, go off into your own, you know, um, and you'll find, and he was right as rain, you know, eventually You'll find a comfort zone for your style. You'll find a way to render things. You'll find a way to do the eyes and the faces, expressions, and um, you'll you'll understand the need for this particular uh, particular way of doing environments and in storytelling. And so, did you did you eventually learn that anatomy and that architecture from? your time in school or was it much more constructive to learn that from the comic book boot camp? Well, I mean, I, when I'd gotten into the comic book boot camp, it was almost like it was part of it was a flashback to college because in college I had taken architectural object drawing where they would set up, um, like a drafting table or desk chair. And I'd say, okay, here are the rules of perspective. Here are the rules of using lines, line weight and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, when I was taking Ty's course and he got to that point where he's like, okay, so when you're drawing environments, I immediately flash back 
to school. So it was a combination. Did it make it easier that you'd already had some sort of understanding? It did. It did make it easier. I did sit down and go, I could do this. But a small part of me at the same time was going, well, if I could do this better, I wouldn't be here, <laughs> you know? So right, right. that's why I'm here because, um, and this is another important fact that I've, I've heard from count, not just, uh, Joe Cooper, but countless other artists is like, if you feel at any point in time, you wake up, you go, there's nothing else I need to learn about comics and, and, and art and, and learning anatomy and all this stuff. Then you're dead in the water. You've plateaued, right? There's no ripples. There's no, you're not moving anywhere, uh, because you've gotten it into your head that you've hit the absolute best that you can be. And I've never subscribed to that, you know? And I think that's part that lends itself to, um, you know, self-deprecation in all these comic artists and including myself where I'll look at a sketch and be like, this is garbage. I can't, no, I don't want to do it. You know, uh, me, uh, Shane, everybody does it, you know, um, where they're, just like they, we could do better. We could do better, but there's, uh, there's gotta be, like we said before, a balance, you know, where you can't just constantly knock yourself to the point where you don't get anything done. There's gotta be a point where you say, I could do this. I can do this. I can make it a finished, you know, piece of work. It's not going to be the best thing I've ever done, but I don't want to sit there and mire in the woulda, coulda, shoulda type thing. You just move on. You do the best you can do, but know that there's so much more you can learn and constantly be on, constantly keep that engine going, you know, and then you'll see yourself uh, evolve, your, your work evolve. And I've definitely felt like that's happened in the past number of years. Uh, definitely where I've just gone back and been like, I can do architecture better. Or I can render these faces better. And there's something I'm finding, uh, something new that I'm finding about, uh, how to draw, uh, the human figure or, you know, or how to draw a particular, uh, action sequence, you know? So did... I mean, you had all this experience in school. Mm -hmm. Did Ty find any holes in your game? Well, obviously there's, you know, I mean, if he, uh, if he didn't, there'd be something weirdly wrong with the universe, you know? Um, I, and, and that was what I was hoping for, you know, because right. if you sit around for so many years and you're just doing sketches and you're showing them and people are like, that's great. That's a great piece of work. Oh my God. Oh, you're so good. But, uh, you know, you don't get that constructive feedback. And I, for so long, I was looking for that. So again, like my first experience at was with Joe and, uh, you know, it was so, it was, uh, I'm glad he had said the yeah, grain of salt, you know, cause if they don't say that and they just tell you, this isn't really good. This isn't really great, which isn't what he said. He's like, this could be better. This could be better. This could be better. So that's where, um, you have to remember that they're doing it because they want you to, to be the best. And that's what Ty would say as well. He's like, uh, I would, uh, periodically come back to him after I'd gone through, uh, the boot camp, and I would go off and, and be a part of Toronto comics anthology and, and other little, um, you know, uh, little comic endeavors. And it's almost like he was checking in 
every once in a while. It's like, yeah, I follow your work. I've been following your stuff. I'm expecting that, you know, expecting this from you. I'm waiting to see this from you, you know? So every time I would show up and, and I'd see him at, uh, uh, like a fan expo show, I'd bring over the books and he'd be like, yeah, I was looking at this thing. So here's what, here's what I have a problem with. And he would go through and, uh, it was all just like the most amazing constructive feedback that I was hoping for. So you know? what do you think are or were your weaknesses and what have you overcome now? Like what makes you a better artist now than you were? I would have before? to say the main one, uh, for me would be environments. <laughs> when I was doing sort of comic s- sketches and, uh, being influenced by, you know, other comic artists, I was just looking solely at the figure, man, I got to get this figure done. Great. So I was accidentally just leaving the environments and, and, uh, you know, the settings of where the comic stories would take place, you know, boxes in the background. And, uh, that was one of the things that Ty was telling me about was, uh, you know, where are they? They look like they're in, in snow covered boxes in Antarctica. It doesn't make any sense where they could be anywhere. And, uh, that sort of clicked with me, you know? And, uh, so I'd spent, you know, uh, a little bit of time every day with my sketches being like, yeah, I can draw this person, but, uh, if I don't draw them in a space or, or put them in a, in a world, you know, there'll be like a, that scene, the matrix where Neo is just standing in white, you know, mm-hmm. and it right, just doesn't right. make any sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, it was, and it's actually physically started to bother me, uh, that I wasn't putting characters in environments, uh, you know, when I was, when I would draw something like Captain America or something like that, you know? Um, and definitely when it came to my comic stories, I wanted to make sure that I followed those rules, like get a character. If you're, if you're storytelling that it's taking place in New York, draw New York, you know, no, don't half ass it. Just make sure you do the research, find pictures, go to New York. If you have the money, that sort of thing, take, uh, take as much reference as possible. So I bet contributing to the Toronto Comics Anthology, which also came out of Ty's class, mm-hmm. really helped you with environments because it, that's specific to Toronto. It, it is. Like both, um, he had, uh, actually, Ty had uh, his own, if you remember, um, he came up with an anthology with the licensing for Sherlock Holmes. Holmes Inc. Holmes right? Incorporated. So that was my first, first true test of what I had sort of retained uh, of his teachings in terms of environments so he would say look this guy be on baker street but this is a particular design uh this is generations later of of you know the great great grandkids of of holmes and and watson uh and um so the writers would come up with the environments right it's like it's got to be baker street but not quite baker street and they would have specific details like a futuristic version exactly but there had to be callbacks to the original buildings and and uh you know uh was it cobblestone streets and what are the people wearing that sort of thing right which forces you to research exactly literature exactly but then also put a little bit of like sci-fi flavor in or yeah yeah. or some sort of future uh thing that you're basing it on Mm -hmm. 
yeah. So I, naturally, I was there were a bit of butterflies in my stomach. Can I pull it off? Can I make it believable? Um, and uh, and I think the process of doing that anthology, where we would meet almost on a weekly basis, and I would challenge myself during that week to get better at doing the environments and make sure that I was of communicating exactly what the writer wanted and what the editor wanted to see the editor being Ty. Uh, so when I did show it to him, he would say, this is good, but this, you could do this and, and get that feedback and then take it into next week. So learning constantly. So I found that doing, uh, the, the homes incorporated, uh, anthology was definitely a huge, um, you know, a huge influence on getting me to work better at, at getting, uh, environments. Right. And with yeah. the Toronto comics anthology, it's like mm-hmm. a real place. Exactly. And people and expect they have the stories take place in Toronto and people, that's the selling point of the anthology. Yeah. Yeah. So people expect to see their neighborhood. Exactly. The iconic landmarks. And, and not only that, but if you're, you're a native son of that city, how shameful would it be that you didn't show that you knew what your own city looked like, even though it's, it's changing constantly as we know. Uh, so being born and, and raised here, you know, uh, stepping into Toronto comics anthology and, 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 uh, being introduced to a story, being paired with a writer, setting a story in this particular part of the city. I'm like, yeah, I know that. Can I draw that? Can I draw Yorkville? Can I draw, um, you know, uh, Lawrence West at, 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 uh, you know, at, uh, Kipling or whatever, right, right. you know? Uh, so it, it was indeed a challenge, but it was also fun because I'd never sat down truly in comic form and drawn my city or parts of my city. So right. that was, uh, it, it, uh, I think because it was like a fun aspect, um, and just such a great idea, that whole to- Toronto Comics Anthology. Um, it made me work better, work harder, and learn more about... Yeah. Uh, I'd like to think that I kind of contributed to that as well, because for <laughs> a time we worked on Submission Samurai, which right. was a small comic yes. that was for the junior program mm-hmm. at Toronto BJJ, which is where I go train mm-hmm. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So everything in that comic took place in that particular place exactly and yeah. when you took over from shane like mm-hmm. it had to look like the place exactly. they had to be wearing the logo of mm-hmm. the particular affiliation that the school was under at the yep. time and that kind of thing so it's very very detailed to a specific environment in the yeah. city and 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 uh you know i mean so uh doing meetings with the the the, the management who who ran the 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 studio, uh, going in there, talking to them, looking around the space, uh, when you come to and from, uh, you know, the dojo, just seeing the park nearby or is that a convenience store, that sort of thing, like taking it all in. I wasn't sitting there, you know, like a tourist take, you can, uh, taking a million pictures. But, uh, for me, um, my, the evolution of me learning environments, uh, a lot of it is retaining it mentally, like just taking the mental picture. It's like, yeah, I was standing there at the southwest corner and I was looking at this building at this certain time of day. And for some reason, it just sort of was burned into my brain so I could go home and just like quickly sketch it out. And I wasn't doing that before. But as, you know, as I've come through, uh, you know, the 2010 to 
present. I found that I do that a lot where I'll just like, you know, I'll sit there and, and, and sketch out a certain part of the city that I stopped at while I was waiting for a bus or just grabbed a coffee, you know, at this turn certain time at sunset it's it's like a bank you can choose oh i like the look at that i want to i want to use that in gray light or something like that right yeah exactly like like the angular landscape or whatever it'll it'll fit well yeah Yeah. it'll it'll fit well it'll work for the story um you know there's a there's a certain problem where you know you get things shoehorned you don't want to shoehorn environments into your story just because oh it looked cool i mean it has to make sense so in the first issue of gray light um the the introduction takes place in a diner right like it's just the the main character in a diner it's only because every morning before i go to work i'll go to a diner it's not the same diner but there are accents that you know, people will look at me like, yeah, I've been to a diner like that. Right, you know? right, exactly. Yeah. So while there is sort of, um, while there is imagination involved, it's like, yeah, create your own environment. There are definite uh, landmark uh, architectural, uh, you know, points, ceiling fans, certain window treatments that make it believable. Right. And that, right. that comes that you from know the research. That it's a diner. Exactly. You know, uh, like the bench seating type sort of thing. And when I, I, the way I did the, the gray light book was, um, I wouldn't do a page a day. You know, a lot of people, uh, would say, well, industry standards, you got to do a page a day. That's how they, you know, want to get it done. But it being my book and me working at my own pace, um, was a, a different approach to doing comics. So, uh, I would do, I literally sit down and just do one panel, you know, a day. And I would sit there and hum and haw about it, but not too much that it, nothing would get done. Uh, but I would take care in making sure the angles were right. Uh, the details of, uh, the furniture were there. You know, I would stop and go on Google images to, if I wasn't sure, what this particular ceiling fan I wanted look like that sort of thing. Um, and I would, I was found that I was taking my time through every panel of each page. Right. Um, the second issue, uh, I've, I've moved a little quicker. You know, I found that I'm just doing the whole page just quickly sort of constructing it out, but then remembering that it worked when I was just doing one panel a day. So I, again, taking my time with it and making sure that all my environments and all my positions of figures and stuff were worked out properly. And at this point in your life, I feel like you're in the most secure position you could be as an artist because Mm -hmm. you work in an art store, you live with an artist, you're surrounded by art on a daily basis. Yeah. And your bills are getting paid in an art environment. Exactly. So you can't help but not continue uh, your passion, right? Exactly. I mean, like, it'd be ridiculous for me to be like, well, this isn't what I wanted at all. You know, I mean, it, it, I couldn't be happier where I am right now. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that, uh, I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by the people that I am, uh, surrounded by. And, uh, you know, just the, the situation that I've, I've, you know, uh, 
that I found myself in with the work, with the day job, and then uh, with the hours afforded to me afterwards to pursue doing the comics. You know, I mean, ideally, I would love to do comics and, and cartooning full time, you know, without having to reach back into doing eight hours a day to, you know, a day job in retail, you know. Um, but I think that uh, I don't want to lift, look a gift horse in the mouth at this point. Um, and I just sort of ride the wave. Right. It might be know. a retail job, but it's, it's the most ideal retail job. Exactly. I mean, like, I mean, I, it, it, before I'd gotten the job, I sat there and said, you know, I, I'll take whatever I can get. I just need to get bills paid while I work on, you know, gray light or, you know, or, or other anthologies. I just need to get the bills paid and keep the roof over my head type thing. So, um, I think right now working a particular, like this particular art, art shop job is, uh, indeed fortunate, you know? Um, but I could just as easily see myself working at any other sort of day job, you know, just as long as the, the bills get paid, because, uh, at this point I'm, I'm still mainly focused and passionate about getting comics done and, and continuing down that road. You know. All right, so let's talk about this passion in more detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, Graylight. Yeah. What do people need to know if they want to check out Graylight? What is it about? Mm-hmm. How long is it going to be? What's the plan here? Buddy? Well, uh, the Graylight story is just a, it's a story about, you know, uh, the power of seeing the world uh, through different views and from uh, different angles. Uh, the premise is that, uh, an individual in the city unnamed uh, currently, uh, has been gifted this power from an alien race, uh, that is an alien race. is sort of like a, uh, sort of a guardian force of, uh, of, of, uh, you know, the, the sort of planetary systems in uh, the area. Okay. Not like, not like the green lanterns, not like the green lanterns. Uh, they don't have, you know, they don't have like special outfits or anything, but they're, it's not far off. Um, I would say it's, it's kind of like, uh, uh, if, if, what were they saying? Like the mashups, like if it were two things like, uh, Green Lantern meets Magnum PI or something like that. Yeah. You yeah. Know? A little Doctor like, Who, a little exactly. cybernetic Babylon 5 yeah. kind of vibe, like yeah. the Cyclones, but good mm-hmm. kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, the, the movie starts with the, the main character, um, showing that he's been gifted this, uh, ability to phase through material space, not time, just like material space on the same plane of existence, um, on, on, uh, you know, this earth type planet. Um, so the story just follows him trying to be, show him as just a normal guy. You know, he, uh, you know, he worked a shipping job or he worked a bunch of different jobs, but one day he was approached by these aliens and, uh, was told, Hey, we are seeking out one person in every city on this planet to be, to hold this power, um, to phase through space. And, uh, at the time, you know, the, the guy's thinking, well, so I can disappear and reappear. What is so good about that? 
but the the catch is is that with every f- time he phases he actually gains physical power Whoa. right like uh speed and strength and um uh and like reflexes and, and yeah all that's that. crazy yeah so the the first issue sort of thrusts him in showing how he can use his powers in his everyday life he's just doing his day uh a situation happens bam you can see how he puts his powers into play but as much as he's you know kind of neato on the idea at the same time he's like i was just minding my own business and apparently i've been approached by these guys to to be a guardian of this planet the reluctant hero the reluctant hero so um he you know he takes on the role um and and uh what what happens is is that um the story sort of follows him as he connects to others around the uh, different towns in and like the the other representatives. Other people who can who have who has this, who've been gifted the same power. The global right? force kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the 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 adventure starts when he finds out that um, uh, certain others like him, the others picked like him. A couple of them are starting to go missing. So that's sort of his investigative nature, um, where he just wants to, you know, get to the bottom of it. Right. He has to maybe be the rescuer eventually. Yeah. But he's like, well, if I actually have to do this, I just wanted to have a coffee and get through my day type thing. Right. You know? Uh, so, but then it blossoms into this adventure. It's goes back to the, what, uh, changes normal, what results off that change. And that's where we're sort of at now where he's on that journey. Is he eventually going to be able to phase through dimensions? Like I suggested, there is, is, there is, well, we don't know. We haven't seen all I can say. We haven't seen the extent of his abilities yet. We're just sort of, we're scratching the surface, right? Um, so it'll be a matter of introducing the supporting players and, and, uh, and, and seeing how they influence his, you know, his, uh, abilities and, uh, you know, uh, and his decision-making and how his life plays out. So how many issues is this going to be? Um, well, at the time I had planned it for like five issues. Um, each issue currently is 12 pages. So it's a pretty quick, if anyone's ever read sort of like a 12 page you know, story. It's, it's pretty quick. Yeah. 12 pages is like half a normal comic book. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of like storytelling, writing, pacing, um, I'm trying to move things, uh, keep the action going, but not do it at such a blurring pace that people are like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. What? I missed a whole bunch of stuff there. So it's a mix of, it's trying to be a fine balance between, uh, the action and the sort of getting the backstory on this alien race and and uh, and his backstory, like where he comes from and that sort of thing, but without trying to, without boring the reader. So if you need an <laughs> yeah. extra issue, you'll take it, basically. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, there is room. I think the way that I've had the story arc plotted um, allows for a further, uh, you know, um, ad- further adventures you know, beyond the five that I have. When I heard that it's selling really well, like mm-hmm. when you took it to Fan Expo, mm-hmm. it was like sold out. Yeah, I mean, I'd gone through a lot of uh, the the a lot of the issue one. Um, I actually had to go get uh, a second printing, um, but 
there was <laughs> there were a couple of interesting instances where I had both issues at this past fan expo, and I had say one individual who came up and blindly bought. He didn't ask about the story. He didn't ask about the character. He just blindly bought the issues. But before laying down the money, he said, where's issue three? And I'm like, don't you want to know about the story? Don't you want to know? Like, yeah, it doesn't he's matter. Like, no, 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 he's no, no. buying it. It's fine. Yeah. He's just like, no, 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 no. I just want to know that you're going to keep coming out with issues. I'm like, I, yeah, that's kind of what I planned on. So thanks for coming by. You're getting a so, reputation. Well, that's the thing. He had no idea who I was. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like there was no approach being like, hey, I heard you uh, through this social media. Just totally random out of nowhere. Someone who maybe has like a, a you know, a, a certain penchant for collecting issues. I don't know. That's amazing. Well, so, if he likes your art and he paid you, that's fine. That, that's don't great. Exactly. I'm not going to be like, well, I can't sell them to you. Wait until you, <laughs> until you show me that you're really invested in the story. And, um, uh, that's amazing, man. But you told me off air too, and we got to get this in before we have to go. Mm-hmm. Um, that like major north is coming back that you're, well, you finally <laughs> found a home for the major north issue that you did with sam noir yeah right? so sam noir um approached me just last month and he said well there's this anthology uh being put together um i don't know i can't forgive me if i can't get the name right uh it's either called uh always punch nazis or must punch punch nazis that's hilarious um apparently it's just got all the stories um, you know, I guess centered around sort of rallying against these white supremacist sort of, uh, attitudes or, uh, you know, that, you know, the, the current events. Right. Right. And, um, so, uh, Sam, uh, took it upon himself to, to say, let's, uh, let's, let's put major North in there. Let's contribute it as a story. So it got accepted as a contribution, but I need to color it. Uh, is is what they're they're putting out color uh, as a color edition. So uh, basically, um, I need to color the twelve page story. Uh, Are you good at color? I am already in the process of coloring it. So right now I'm on you know the fourth or fifth page. But what I found was, and I had a discussion with Sam uh, like last week, was the color is actually affecting the storytelling in a in a in a much more detailed sense. Uh, in a good way, like in a dynamic way. way. In, in a dynamic way. It adds a new, uh, it adds a new dimension to the story because um, as if people remember, um, or if you remember uh, the, the whole, uh, the whole uh, premise behind Major North was he is a physical representation of, you know, um, the, the Canadian, um, you know, uh, the Canadian identity, you know, he's taking everybody's, uh, you know, positive energy and, 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 um, you know, and, uh, diverse, uh, influence on the country and personifying it in this hero. Right. And that's where he gains his energy. Uh, so what I found was that adding the element of color, uh, to certain parts of the story. Like uh, in the beginning of the story, you'll see how the city of Toronto falls under this 
crazy SS type regime and, and, and the color drains out of the story. And for most of it, uh, the color will be very muted and very, you know, just very blah. So you'll get that sort of like seasonal affective disorder type color scheme. It's the fascist color scheme. Exactly. You know, um, so, but as the story reaches its climax, you'll see that color pop back in um, in certain facets to show the energy being transferred from the people of Toronto and around the country into Major North himself. That's awesome. Right? So, uh, I think that it's really fun to 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 add that um, certain facet to the to the story. And Major so. North is a Canadian hero, mm-hmm. sort of like Captain Canuck, yeah. but not a little beefier, yeah, a yeah. little more muscular and hefty. Yeah, and uh, and uh, one of the more notable aspects is that he is Aboriginal, um, so he is Métis. Uh, so um, Sam has way more sort of backstory on the character, which we're working on for Major North issue two, um, which hopefully will will start getting underway uh, going into this this summer of 2019. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I, I'm looking really forward to this. Are you still doing your sketch covers? Where I can am, people I buy am. them? Well, here's the thing. Uh, I would love to do more sketch covers, but what I found was the market has sort of... Uh, like at least in the city, it's really hard to find them. Just like walking to the storefronts that remain uh, in in Toronto. Like I went to Silver Snail, and uh, I've yet to go up to Harry Tarantula. But right. if they had them up there, I would buy a whole oh, bunch. Oh, you of mean them. like the blanks? The blanks, um, because uh, uh, it, it's it's been really hard to get my hands on them. I found a few at trade shows, uh, and um, I've been trying to track some down through uh you know friends and and online so. i suspect that the companies are producing less and they're mm-hmm. only putting them out during like special issues yes like exactly. spider-man 800 or something that sort of thing yeah so that's fine um i would like to go back to doing more of them i did uh actually um think about doing a, a gray light variant uh blank variant so we're we'll, we're going to see as, fin- as soon as I finish the third issue whether I'll actually do a printing that includes the blanks. That's you know? awesome, man, because you're so good at them. Um, so if people want to keep up with what you're doing, where can they find you? Well, currently, um, my social media presence is mainly on Facebook. So if you go onto Facebook and do a search under Christopher Yao, you and, should... And we're talking like Yowza Graphics. Yeah, That's Yowza Graphics. That's Y-A-O-Z-A Graphics. graphics. Yeah. And just as one word, you should, I'll come up, uh... Uh, I'm in the, in the process of trying to retune a, an Instagram, uh, feed. Um, I'm qu- kind of on Twitter, but not really as much, you know, because Twitter I find is like, you know, it's, it's a moment to moment thing and I'm not as moment to moment like, Oh, I just made toast. Yeah. Uh, it's not breaking you know? news. Exactly. You know, I, I'll do a post a day at some point during the day, I'll, I'll upload a sketch or say, Hey, I'm going to be at this for this place for a signing or sketch event or something. But it's very, I find it just once a day. So Twitter in that sense, I'm not really, you know, right. in tune with. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Well, so yeah, was the graphics. Is mm-hmm. it .com or .ca? Um, it would be actually, um, if you go to my Facebook, uh, there should be a link to, uh, a Wix site, one of those free hosting sites that I'm in the process of, of, uh, overhauling, but All there right, are, man. there are, 
uh, uh, pages of Greylight uploaded to that. So, All right, so. so look up Christopher Yao on Facebook. <laughs> Yao again is Y A O. He's from Toronto, Ontario. In case there's other Christopher Yao's on Facebook, but I don't think so. Oh, there oh, are, there are. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> but only one is an artist, and only one works under the Yao's Graphics label. Mm-hmm. So uh, go check him out. We've been talking to Christopher Yao. It's uh, nice to uh, have a friend in the studio, uh, a guy we've, uh, you know, I've gone back with a lot. So it's it's easy. This is an easy interview, man, and I and yeah. I thank you for that. No, thank you very very much for having me in. I mean, it's been ages since I've uh, been able to come in and sit down and and uh, sort of pour out all of the, it's. It feels like I've been kind of uh, uh, socially pent up in terms of of telling, uh, you know, telling people about my endeavors and. No. I really feel like we're in, you're in a better spot than you've ever been. You're in the best spot you've ever been. You're you're at the height of your talents. You're finally <laughs> finishing things. You finally got an ongoing book out. Yeah. And uh, Greylight is pretty awesome. Uh, is it available at any of the fine shops around the city? Well, uh, I'm in the process of uh, trying to shop it around to different sh- uh, stores that will sort of take uh, issues on consignment uh, or however it works. Um Right now, I have them currently. You can you can purchase them. Um, you know, uh, message me through Facebook, um, or I'll be appearing, hopefully appearing at uh, a couple of conventions this summer. Yeah, I mean know. the Toronto Comic Con. Toronto Comic Con in in, Lo- in in March, yep, right? Yep. So hopefully, I'm in the process of trying to secure a table there. Uh, I definitely want to make an appearance at Fan Expo uh, in August as well. Nice. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So if you're in the Toronto area, or even if you're not, come down, try to find Chris Yao, get a sketch cover, mm-hmm. get an issue of Grey Light. I mean, he is probably like the journeyman of the Toronto independent comic scene. He's been a fixture for years. He's just always sketching and doing stuff. I, I never see him without a pen and a pad in his hand. And he just he just puts them out, man. It's like a machine. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, help him achieve his dream. It's been so awesome having you, man. I, I really want to thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. All Great. right, and we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network is hosted by me, Aaron Broverman, and features audio editing from Armin Zoberi. It has announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward, with graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.